Well, some of your visitors today, we're glad you're here, and you can come back anytime you want to because we encourage and accept and like visitors. So you can come back anytime. Now, I'm not a pastor, just so you know that. I just <laughs> and those of you that saw that the sermon here last week was awesome. I, I I really loved it. At the door, one of our members, who whenever I'm scheduled to preach, always tells me, uh, "Good morning, Pastor." And I said, "I'm just priest for the day." But when I thought about it, you know, all of us really uh, should be priests uh, every day. And so I, I take that back, Bill. We're, we're priests every day. You too. Um, you know, in all my uh, years of attending church, I have never heard a sermon about Aaron. Ever. I even watch Sunday pastors and Friday pastors. and I, I watch pastors all the time on TV, and I've never heard a sermon about Aaron. Now, I've heard about his big mistake ever since I was in Cradle Roll, uh, and I'm sure you have too. I've heard of him as an example of weakness. But when you think about Aaron, what's your first thought? Two words, golden calf. Yeah, we, we all think about Aaron, we think of golden calf. But what do we really know about him? How did God ultimately deal with him? Is he saved? Is he lost? How could God forgive such a total lapse in obedience? So let's open our Bibles and our minds today and find out the rest of Aaron's stories. You know, every time I get up here I tell you this, but I'm going to tell you again. I enjoy reading. I read a chapter every day out of my Bible. And sometimes the devil tempts me to let me think I don't have enough time, but I find out when I have skipped in the past and my day is much worse, so now I don't have time not to study. And I would suggest you do the same because it was as I was reading uh, in Exodus, I came across this story, and it so intrigued me, I, I thought I would share it with you. I found a, a few facts in in the Bible, looking up text with my concordance, and also a book called Patriarchs and Prophets kind of fills in the blanks for you, and I highly recommend it. Anyway, I learned a lot about Aaron that I never knew, and I, I hope maybe that you might discover a fact or two this morning also. Aaron was three years older than Moses. Now, Miriam, their sister, was the oldest one as far as we know. And she was the one that was sent out to watch Moses when he was in the basket on the Nile River. Uh, it seems to me that Aaron was like the older brother in the shadows. You know, back in Bible times, the uh, eldest son had a significant position uh, in life. And he was the one that inherited uh, the blessings from the from when the father passed away and he inherited uh, family fortune and uh, servants and the cattle and the sheep and everything kind of went to the eldest son. Now it's possible that because they were enslaved in Egypt that there was nothing for Aaron to receive when when his father 
passed away, but that's part of the story that is not mentioned. And I, but I wonder about that. Sometimes as I read Scripture, I, I sure wish that more blanks would be filled in. But someday when we get to heaven, we'll find out all those rest of the stories, and I'm looking forward to that. Um, being a younger brother or sister is not always a good thing. I uh, was the oldest son in my family. How many people are the oldest sibling of your group? Oh, lots of you. How many were not the oldest? Well, there's a few of you admit to that, too. I saw one guy raise his hand twice. I won't ask about that. <laughs> Maybe he didn't understand the question. <laughs> but uh, when uh, I, I actually went to a high school in uh, in Oklahoma, it's a rough um, crowd down there, at least the crowd I was in in northeast Oklahoma, the um, foothills of the Ozarks. Uh, you'd call them redneck, and I, I would have fit right in with that. Um, when I went to school, I, you know, had a few issues at school because it was the first year I'd been in that particular school. So I went to three grade schools and a couple high schools, and we kind of, my dad had what he called itchy feet. And when he went, I went, because that's the way life was. So I'm here in, uh, I'm a freshman in uh, Jay, Oklahoma, which is up in the northeast corner. And uh, I went through class, and then my sisters and brothers had to go after me. And when they'd get to school, and they'd hear that last name, Marta, they'd go, oh, are you Mike's brother? Are you Mike's sister? I, I, I was kind of a prankster. And, um, and when you're moving around a lot, you learn in a hurry to make friends. You have to do something unique. <laughs> Otherwise, you're just somebody. And so I invented lots of ways to be unique. Um, I, I was in chemistry class and uh, another class. I don't remember which, but I was in a class with all the jocks, you know, well, you know what, the athletes. I wasn't one of those athletes, but I just happened to be lucky enough to be in their class because, as everybody knows, athletes have to, uh, maintain something called eligibility. Uh, in order to compete, their grades had to be a certain level, and sports are a big deal down in northeast Oklahoma. They didn't want their star football players and basketball players to not play. So if you happened to be in the class with the jocks, it was a little easier, and I kind of liked that. Um, we... In chemistry class, uh, our teacher, John Lee Howe, it's a good southern name, um, told us that we had a chemistry workbook that we had to fill out. It's about that thick. And there was all kinds of after-school activities that you were supposed to do. And he told us flat out that if we didn't do the workbook, we would not pass his class. Well, they graded on the curve back then, so all of us kids, they included me as the new kid, um, decided we weren't going to do the workbook because he couldn't flunk the whole class. And so that was our pact, and we stuck to it. Everybody except Victor. <laughs> There's always one guy in the class that has to do everything the teacher said. Well, that was Victor. 
And he did his workbook, and he did all of his after-school stuff he was supposed to do. And it came down to close to the time to hand the workbooks in. It might have been a day or two ahead of time. And all of us other guys decided we had to do something. So I was selected. Well, I might have volunteered, but... um, we saw Victor's workbook sitting on the lab. Um, it had his name right on top. <laughs> and, you know, we were working with hydrochloric acid that week. And Victor was over talking to the teacher about something special, and nobody was looking my direction. So I took the beaker of hydrochloric acid and poured it all over Victor's workbook. I know it was mean. Um... You know, I was nervous because nothing happened. I thought it would just eat it all up, poof, it'd be gone. But it just turned brown. And I was thinking about putting more hydrochloric acid on it when Victor came back to his workbook. He picked it up, and the whole center fell out in pieces. Yes! And I was, uh, um, well, let's say the class kind of liked me. <laughs> They graded on the curve, and we all passed. Um, even Victor without a workbook. Um, no workbook, no problem. Well, you know, Aaron, even though he was older, it seemed like the younger brother, Moses, was the one that you really had to follow. He was the one that kind of set the stage. Um uh, Moses was the big deal, and Aaron seemed to be forgotten until age 40 when Moses made a mistake. He killed an Egyptian. And he had to leave Egypt for health reasons to stay alive. Um, How many of you knew that Moses was 40 when he did that? Anybody know that? He looked a lot younger in the movie, didn't he? Uh, But he was 40 years old, and... uh, Do you think it's possible that Aaron ever resented his younger brother who had all the glory and had all of the, everybody following him as prince of Egypt? Yeah, if you read Patriarchs and Prophets, you'll find out that not only Aaron, but Miriam also resented Moses a little bit. In fact, um, they got leprosy over it. And uh, then God healed them, and they got over their being uh, resentful of their brother slightly. Um, well, Moses, when he left Egypt, he had to go someplace, and the closest place was the desert, where he didn't think he'd be followed. So he wandered out to the, to the desert and ended up in Midian, um, where he lived for, you know how long he was out there? Anybody know? Forty years! I, I tell you, I learned so much by reading uh, the Bible and Patriarchs, 40 years. He got married. He had children. In fact, many people think that that was where Moses wrote the first book of the Bible, Genesis, when he was out in the wilderness. He had a lot of time to think, you know, watching the sheep. And he had a lot of time to find humility. In Midian, he wasn't uh, really as big a deal as he thought he was when he was in Egypt as a prince. Forty years also gave a lot of time for Aaron to think. 
I suspect, I don't know and I didn't read this, but I suspect he actually was missing his brother, wondering what happened to him, if he was alive, how things were going, what he was doing. Well, it was about this time that Moses was in the process of having his God-finding burning bush experience up on the mountain. And do you remember, as he's talking to God in the bush, that God, who was really Jesus, you'll have to look that up, but it's true, said to him out of the bush, you need to let my people go because I have seen the trials that they're having in Egypt. I want you, Moses, to go and talk to Pharaoh to get them released. And Moses was happy he was talking to God and things, but all these fears came up in him. And he said, but God, I can't, I can't talk. I mean, I've been in Midian so long I forgot the Egyptian language. I'm not making that up. It really says it. Um, so, God, who always solves all the problems, had an answer. He said to Moses, so you can't speak Egyptian anymore, huh? I know somebody who speaks it fluently. Guess who? Aaron. And one day Aaron was instructed by angels that his brother was okay and to go out and meet him near Mount Horeb. Now, think about it. How could they ever find each other or hook up, as the kids say today? No phone, no GPS, no cell phone, no text, no computer. No phone book. Well, there's no phone. So there'd be no phone book. You couldn't look at Moses' address, 4830 Palm Drive. No, you couldn't look it up. So how did they find him? How would they ever find each other? <clears throat> no Facebook. <laughs> he couldn't post what he's doing every day. So God used angels to get them together. And you know, I found something as I read Scripture. The man that stays walking with God always gets to his destination. And so after 40 years in the wilderness at age 80, God finally has a man who he can use to deliver his people from bondage. But who was the spokesman? Aaron. Now for those 20 or 30-somethings in our group or visitors who think they know everything, if there's anybody like that at that age, uh, Moses felt he knew everything too, right up until age 40 when he killed that Egyptian and had to run. And he learned it wasn't as smart as he thought. For those of you that are over 60 or so, you don't have to raise your hands. We know who you are. Um, Moses and Aaron really didn't get started in their ministry till Moses was 80 and Aaron was 83. So you can never be too old to minister to other people. And you can never be too young. God can even use a handmaid to help somebody who's got a leprosy problem. Well, when Moses and Aaron went to see Pharaoh, Pharaoh asked him who sent him. And Aaron, of course, the spokesman said, of the God of Jehovah. And Pharaoh said, well, who is this Jehovah? And Aaron says, and, and look this up in Exodus 3.18 if you want, but I'm just going to go through because we're a little late. Um, Aaron says, the God of the Hebrews has met with us. Us. 
Now, that was new to me. I never realized that Aaron was in on any meeting with God, but it says right there, and so I have to take it at face value, God of the Hebrews has met with us, so let us go worship him. Of course, we know that just asking Pharaoh didn't work. And uh, when they went back, Pharaoh demanded a miracle, and it was Aaron who threw down his rod that turned into a serpent that ate all the magician serpents. Aaron. Moses and Aaron, working with God side by side, older brother, little brother, 80 and 83. (laughs) Um, And so eventually we know that Pharaoh let them go. And you know, here I want to say something. Life isn't always fair, but it's still good, and it beats the alternative a thousand percent. After they'd left Egypt, they traveled a while. They were resting by the Red Sea when the Egyptians had a change of heart. And they gave chase. Now it came to have their way with the children of Israel. And Psalm 77, 19 and 20 says, Thou ledest thy people like a flock by the hand of Moses and Aaron. By the way, if you take a theology class at Oshkosh, as a, as a stepdaughter did, she told me about it. When they get to this part about the Red Sea... They told her, the professor said in class, that's a misinterpretation. It's really the Reed Sea, R-E-E-D, Reed Sea. How many of you knew they taught that? Nobody. Well, now you learned something. Oh, you did. Okay. The Reed Sea. Now, the Reed Sea is only three feet deep. It's a small body of water. And they tell the kids that because they want to make God's miracle look like no big deal. Just a small thing. But ask yourself this question. If it was the Reed Sea, how could all the Egyptian army drowned in it? They all dwarfs? <laughs> I mean, most of you can stand up in a three-foot body of water and make it pretty good, right? Yeah, that's the part they don't tell you. But they just want to make our kids have doubts that the Bible is true because they know if they can, if they can raise doubts in the Scripture that there's no foundation for the kids to believe in, and they have an easy way to get to them. Anyway, back to the story. After the Red Sea, they're wandering in the wilderness, and the Amalekites attack them. And you know the story, this is the one where when Moses held his hands up, they'd win, and when he put his hands down, they'd lose. Who was it that held up Moses' hands so they could ultimately win the battle? Anybody know? Aaron and another man named Hur, not Ben-Hur. That was a different movie. But Hur and Aaron. Well, they finally arrive at Mount Sinai where they spent nearly a year. I was shocked by that too. And here's something else I learned in a study. When God came to Mount Sinai, remember the rumblings and the fire and... He also came with thousands of his saints, angels, in heaven. I didn't see that in the movie either. But that makes it even more difficult for me to believe that people could turn against him so quickly. If they see, they didn't see God, but they saw the angels that were with him. It's in Deuteronomy 33, 2 and 3. You check it out yourself. You might think I misinterpreted that, but the Bible Helps, I have, sees it the same way, and patriarchs and prophets elaborates. Read it this afternoon. Um, 
But then the unthinkable happens. The mixed multitude took control. Now, who was this mixed multitude? Did you ever wonder about that? The mixed multitude were people who left Egypt with God, but they weren't really God's people. They wanted the promised land. They wanted to avoid the plagues. They saw it as a way to get freedom and hook up with the people that are getting all these good things just given to them. That's the mixed multitude. I have to say today there's lots of people in churches throughout the country that are not much different than the mixed multitude. They want heaven, the promised land. They want good things. They don't want bad things. But are they following God to serve him? Or are they following God to keep safe? Ask yourself that question. We could all be in different categories. Well, anyways, the mixed multitude took control. Um, and they fell back into their old ways, and they wanted an idol. And who was it that built that golden calf? Aaron, older brother Aaron. But you know, some things I learned that I didn't know, Aaron was persuaded to do this through fear of his life. Many people at that mountain stood up for God and his ways, and some were actually killed for it. And Aaron caved in, we call him weak, and he was. But how would you have reacted in the same situation when you're seeing people stand up for God, lose their lives? There's people in Arabia, people in China, people in India that are faced with that every single day. We in America haven't been faced with that yet, but someday, someday. So ask yourself how you would have reacted. You know, when Moses came back down from the mountain, he had the people separating it to, I was going to say two groups, but on further reading, it's actually three groups. How many of you knew there's three groups? Mm -hmm. See, there's all these little things that are just so interesting. Okay, the first group, the group that didn't fall into that trap and worship the idol, they were on his right. And then Moses had the people who had joined in with the false worship but repented on his left. And then the other people who fell in with the false worship and enjoyed the false worship and would keep doing it if they were left alive in another group. And those people were killed on the spot. The Levites, almost the entire tribe of Levi, were people that had not fallen into that category, which I did not know. They were the ones that followed God. You know, when Moses came back down, he begged for Aaron. He asked God for Aaron's life because he, he knew his older brother had sinned, and God forgave Aaron. And now we're getting to the good part. You know, Aaron had issues. Well, you know. But when you think about it, I have issues. You have issues. Your kids have issues. My kids have issues. We all have issues. God is a God that can solve issues if we take it to him. 
And here's something I want you to never forget. And I'm going to repeat it twice. God loves you because of who he is, not because of anything you did or didn't do. You got that? God loves you because of who God is. Because God is love. He didn't just have love. He is love. He loves you because of who he is, not because of anything you did or didn't do. Grace is unmerited favor, period, exclamation point. You don't deserve it. I don't deserve it because God is love. He offers it. Well, Aaron was restored into God's favor. He was forgiven. And then he went on to become the high priest of Israel. That shows me that even after an awful failure on his part to obey God, God forgives. And when he forgives, he forgets. Sins are thrown into the ocean thousands of fathoms deep. It says it right in the scripture. Aren't you glad we have a loving, forgiving Heavenly Father? I am too. I am too. Shouldn't we try to be more like him? (laughs) I should too. (laughs) I should too. Aaron, who had sinned greatly, now was the one offering sacrifices for other people's sin. Isn't that ironic? The high priest, he understood how it is. How you can become overcome with temptation and fall into sin. Especially when you try to resist it in your own power. But Aaron suffered greatly for his sin because, you know, when you sin, you're never the same. You're never that there's always scars. You'll have an, you'll have a weakness in your fabric. When you sin once, it's going to haunt you forever. Through God's power, we can overcome. But it's always a weakness that you have. Aaron, two of his four sons were killed by God directly for offering strange fire on the altar. And we don't know, and that's one of those stories we'll have to find out. But I wonder if they didn't look at their father who did something awful and was forgiven and wonder just what it'd be like to do that. And maybe God would forgive them too. But you know, it'd be presumption to intentionally commit sin with the idea that God always forgives. God had forgiven Aaron, but because of his sin, he was not allowed to enter the promised land. Moses was not allowed either because of his sin in striking the rock for water. But the promised land they missed out on, it's not the one that God promised all of us who believed. It's just a nice place that people on earth are still fighting over today. Heaven. Heaven is our promise. Hebrews eleven sixteen. We will be with God. We will be his people forever. Will Aaron be there? Yes, he will. I have no doubts. God forgives sins just like he forgives yours. He forgave his. He forgives mine the same way. I have solid evidence. I want you to look it up. Psalms 106. If you ever had a doubt, Psalms 106. Verses, we'll start with verse, uh, well, let's see. I was going to start with verse 13, but let's, let's go on down here. 
Uh, let's go and start with 16. We'll just, I'm cutting a few things out, but it's okay. Because you got the point. When they envied Mary, uh, Moses in the camp, let's talk about the other. And look at this. And Aaron, the saint of the Lord. Aaron, the saint of the Lord. You ever hear of Saint Aaron before? I didn't either. I didn't either. But I'm glad that he is an example who can commit terrible, terrible sin and be forgiven. And God can call him a saint. Well, I'm looking forward someday to figuring all the rest of this stuff out. But you know, God's given us enough in his word to know how to be saved. It's all there. We might not understand how everything works. It's not geometry class, but we know the end. And we know that if we give our sins to him, that he'll accept us and forgive us just like he did Aaron. Our God is big enough to forgive every sin if you repent, even if you make a golden calf. Now you know we're all sinners saved by the blood of Christ. After all, there was only one Enoch who walked with God and was taken. There's only one Elijah who went to heaven in a fiery chariot. And all the rest of the people went there just like you and I will end up there. The rest of us are more like David and Samson and, yes, even Aaron. Lord, we're thankful that you tell all the stories that we need to know to have confidence that you can forgive our worst sins that you're big enough and powerful enough to forgive us no matter what we've done in the past and to love us and to give us strength to go on for the rest of our lives. And Lord, when we fall, as we often do, help us not to listen to that devil who tells us you'll never forgive us anymore, but to trust in you, to keep you as our rock, to trust your word, Lord, we ask that you'll help our visitors as they go back to wherever they're from, that they'll have safe travels with each of us. Help us this week that we will make an effort to try to read your word, to learn more of you and your love for us. And we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen.